Good morning, OBC. Oh man, thank you, Pastor Rob, for that kind introduction. Um, it is really an honor to be with you here today. As Pastor Rob uh, said already, my name is Josh Wilson. Uh, my wife Allie and I are planting a church uh, down in or up in Boston, uh, in the Dorchester neighborhood of the city. Um, and uh, as Pastor Rob already mentioned, uh, you know, I'm I'm a church planter. Uh, I talk a lot about church planting because I think it's so so important. But really, if you get underneath it, um, what church planting is all about is being and making disciples. And that's, that's what I really want to talk to you about today because I make up that the majority of you probably are not called to start a church. I mean, somebody in here might be, and that would be pretty cool. Um, but, but most of us aren't, aren't called to start churches But I'm going to argue today, and I hope by the end of our conversation this morning that you'll agree with me that every one of us are invited to be and to make disciples. And so I'm going to preach uh, on a topic that feels so important to me this morning, uh, a topic that I want to tag for us, apprenticing after Jesus, apprenticing after Jesus. And uh, to get us started this morning, uh, we're going to head over to the scriptures. We'll be picking up in the book of Matthew in chapter 4 and beginning in verse 17. So open up your Bibles uh, or power up the smartphones, scroll on over as the case may be for all of us millennials. Uh, And we're going to pick up again Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 17, where Matthew records the beginning of Jesus' ministry as such. From that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Would you pray with me? Master Jesus, I believe that you are still, even here, even today, calling us to come after you. So God, I pray that as your word is opened, as we uh, reflect on this first century event that, God, you would still be speaking. God, I pray that we would have ears attuned to your call. God, that you would give us, even in this room, the courage, the commitment to to lay aside our our comfort, our certainty, uh, to step out in this adventure, this journey of following you. It's in your name, Jesus, that I pray. Amen. All right, so as we get started this morning, I want to invite you into uh, a, a fun little imaginative exercise, okay? Now, I know for many of us, imagination, uh, outside of some TV series that we, we might watch, mostly got left behind with elementary or middle school, but I believe in you. You can do this. So uh, put, your, put your imagination caps on, uh, close your eyes if that's helpful, whatever you're going to do, and I want you to, to pretend with me that you're in the following story. All right, so you are a medical records clerk right down the street here at Cape Cod Hospital. And it's been a bit of a slow day today at the hospital. See, they've been switching a bunch of systems over. IT's installing some kind of software. We're not sure exactly what's going on, but 
The bottom line is that there's not too much to do. Things are, things are kind of slow. Everybody's been talking about the economy, about the hospital, mergers are happening, and job security is kind of a concern, especially since you got married a, a few months back, your mother-in-law's been sick. It's just been a lot, of, a lot of transition, a lot of things going on, and so that raises some concern. But even more than that, even more than the typical work gossip, there seems to be one situation that has captivated everyone's attention. It's this, this new preacher that has burst onto the scene just a couple weeks back, and everybody has been talking about this guy. See, he's been holding revival services all over the Boston metro area. And admittedly, uh, at first you were pretty skeptical. See, everybody had been talking about uh, this power, about uh, something that was, that was crazy, that was happening, but he doesn't, like, this is not the guy that you would expect any of that from. He, he, he never went to seminary. Apparently, he's from like some podunk town up in New Hampshire that nobody's ever heard of. Like hardly promising credentials, this guy. But there was, there was this service, or at least people are saying over in Dedham where he was speaking, and there was a guy there, and his hand was just all jacked up from some kind of manufacturing accident, some kind of industrial accident. And this preacher, he walked up to the dude, and he said, be healed. And the, the dude's hand like just completely straightened out. Like, there's before and after pictures on Instagram. It's, it, like, seems legit. And it's not just that, too. There's been reports of, of casting out demons. There's been reports of healing. Finally, uh, last week, you had heard enough of this. Your curiosity was piqued to the point. Even though you were kind of skeptical, you had to go check this out yourself. So uh, you invited some friends. You went down. Even your mother-in-law, she'd been, she'd been sick, but she'd somehow heard about this guy, got really interested. So you all went down uh, to this crusade, this revival thing that he was doing, and it was just like everyone had said. It was powerful, in, incredible. In, in fact, your mother-in-law, who had been sick for a couple weeks, this preacher noticed he came up to, and he rebuked the fever, and bam, just like that, 98.6, gone. Well, you were still trying to make sense of it. You weren't entirely sure what was going, but, but something was going on there. Your skepticism had at least uh, begun to change into curiosity. Everyone around the hospital was talking about it, e even if they didn't entirely understand, even if they didn't entirely get it. So back at the hospital today, you and your coworkers decide to, to ditch the files and, and walk over to tugboats for lunch. And as you're waiting to be seated, uh, all of a sudden, the guy walks up, like, like the guy, this, this preacher, he walks up, and without so much of an introduction, he comes to you and he says, follow me, and I will make you a soul healer. Follow me, and I will make you a soul healer. All right. What do you, what, like, what? What do you, what do, you do with that? How do you even respond to that kind of request, Right? I mean, I don't know about you, I have so, so many questions. Like, follow you where? Where are we going? What, what would that even mean? Are we, are we leaving the Cape? Are we going somewhere cold? Do I need a sweater? Is active wear appropriate? And, and like, how long am I going to be gone for? Do I need to just, like, let my boss that I'm stepping out for a minute? Or do I need to take a leave? Are you asking me to quit? Is this a job offer? And if so, what's the compensation package here? Like, what is going on? How would you respond? What is the plan, man? Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you a soul healer. All right, so 
admittedly, my imagination is not inspired, and this analogy is imperfect, so if you're poking holes in it, that's fine. Just, just let it go. It doesn't have to be exactly right. The, the point of, of describing this hypothetical, this kind of contemporary retelling of the story that we find here in the Gospel of Matthew is it's very simple. It's this. I'm hoping that we could get past our familiarity, that we could put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples there and imagine just even for a moment what in the world might it, must it have been like to be confronted with Jesus and to hear this invitation, this radical, this crazy call to follow me. How would you respond? I mean, I wonder, do you think Jesus only called 12? I don't know. Maybe. I wonder if he called like 20 or 40 or 60 and the rest of them said no, right? Scripture does not tell us. What we do know from the text is that the disciples literally walked off the job site, right? Immediately. Peter and Andrew are in the middle of what we'll call an audit, right? They're, they're mending their nets, according to verse 20. And in verse 22, we see that James and John turn to Zebedee, their father, and they say, Bye, Pops. Sorry to leave you in the middle of this project, but Jesus called. We out. We got to go. We know that Simon was married. Um, The whole feverish mother-in-law bit comes directly from Luke chapter 4. And although we do know a few of these details, there's so much that we don't know. Like, we don't know what the disciples really knew about Jesus in this moment. It, It seems likely that they knew that he was at least a healer, Perhaps they had begun to imagine that that maybe this guy was even more than that. Maybe he was the long-promised Jewish Messiah. But they probably had no idea that he was the incarnate God. They certainly didn't know what the schedule was going to be like, how long this invitation would last for, (laughs) how they were going to get paid, what they were going to be doing, where they were going to be going. They had no concept. And yet, they said yes. And they followed him. Now, Does this sound a bit risky to you, like a bit unsafe, slightly out of control? I can tell you it certainly does to me. And frankly, I think following Jesus is still quite a bit like that. Uh, Back in March of this year, at the end of March, beginning of April, I resigned from my job uh, that I was working. Leaving the paycheck behind was a a little bit angst-inducing. But uh, my wife and I gathered a a group of friends and began to cast vision for this new church that we're starting up in Boston in, in the Dorchester neighborhood. We shared about a, a vision for a community that, that might live and love like Jesus and extend the love of Jesus into neighborhoods and networks across our city. And thankfully, 12, 12 people decided to embark with us on this crazy adventure of church planting. Now, admittedly, we, this has been a long process. There's been a lot of back work and pre-work and strategy and prayer Uh, Pastor Rob was part of helping with that. We spent four days uh, last year out in August working with Converge to get assessed and prepared. There's a lot that's gone into it, but even as much as that is true, there's so much about this journey that we don't know, that feels out of control. I mean, we don't know who exactly is going to give to support this vision. OBC has been a part of that, and we are so incredibly grateful for your partnership in helping this happen. And right now, we're at 25% of the funds needed to start this church. We're trying to figure out where's that 75% going to come from. We're trying to figure out who's going to join the team. We've got this initial group of disciples who are embarking on this journey, and God is continuing to add more to that number, but there needs to be more. 
I, I imagine that I probably even haven't met a lot of the people who are going to be core leaders in our church yet. And we don't know how our non-Christian friends and neighbors will respond as we continue to extend the love of Jesus to them and invite them into this process of following Jesus. We don't know who's going to step up, uh, whether it's in leadership. We're not sure about exactly where we're going to meet as we graduate from coffee shops and houses. There's a lot of uncertainty. And if that feels a little anxious-inducing for you or, or you're like, wow, that seems, that seems like a lot, let me tell you, it does to me too. Because if, if I'm being honest, I love being in control, guys. I'm like, I'm an Asana person. I'm a Sheets person. I'm a Wonderlist person. Like, I, all, the, all the productivity tools, all the planning. I love having a budget, having things mapped out, knowing exactly how each piece is going to fit together to get us to the desired result. How many, share, how many of you get this? How many of you prefer stability, security, control, right? Uh, me too, right? It's so much more comfortable. And, and I have a problem, and if, if you raised your hand, and probably if you didn't, you have one too. Following Jesus is nothing like that. I wish it was. See, following Jesus is, as you know, all about faith. And faith kind of by definition means that you're not in control. The author of Hebrews tells us over in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And Paul tells us we walk by faith, not by sight. In other words, faith means following Jesus without knowing where we're going. Faith invites us to take steps without being able to see the whole route. Jesus challenges us to say yes to following before he gives us the full information about where we're headed. I mean, you followed someone before, right? I don't know if this is something that happens here. Do, do people like invite other people out for lunch? Um, sometimes this happens after church. And uh, so just imagine with me if, for instance, you meet somebody for the first time today. They say, hey, let's grab lunch afterwards. You say, great. They say, yeah, I'm in the parking lot. I've got the silver Buick. Uh, just go ahead and follow me out of the parking lot. Now, if you're like me, you're not leaving the parking lot until you have an address, right? There is no way that I'm going to like go, like, and even if you want to, the person begins to tell you, okay, so you're going to go down to Center Street, and then you're going to take a right, and then there's this little building, and you're going to take a left, and then over, the, then there's this, I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, nothing is happening until I know where I'm going, until my GPS is going to provide me specific, concrete, like, updatable directions, right? When you're following someone, when you're actually following somebody, you're not in control right? And this is annoying. This is not, this is not my preference. We don't, we don't, if Joe here invites me to lunch and just says, follow me, there's no way it's happening, right? But Jesus calls us into precisely this kind of a relationship. And, and friends, I think that sometimes, see, we're really clever. I think we try to find ways to follow without the faith part, Right? We try to shrink down following Jesus into something that's more manageable. It's more compartmentalized. It's more, it's more clear. Instead of a, a relationship, a following, we really prefer kind of a list of do's and don'ts, right? Like, do believe that Jesus is God. Ask for forgiveness for your sins. Do show up to church at least a couple times a month if it, the weather's not too bad and you're not on vacation or anything. And, you know, don't do drugs or have sex outside of marriage. I mean, you know, 
And, and probably, what are your boxes? Like, think about it, for real, for just a second. I know that I'm a good Christian if dot, dot, dot. How do you, you kind of complete that sentence? What are your checkboxes that tell you if you're in the right space? Maybe you've added serving or giving or keeping your notes on the podium. And see, I I agree that following Jesus probably involves all of those things. It's not that our lists are wrong. It's that following Jesus can't be reduced to a formula. See, Jesus' call confronts us with a dilemma. Will we cling to our comfort and control, or like like Jesus' disciples, will we say yes and move out after him? Now, I think there's three critical pieces to this call that I want to notice with you here in Matthew chapter 4 in verse 19. Jesus uh, reveals three important aspects of life in the way of Jesus in his invitation in these, these simple words. In Matthew 4 and 19, we read, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And in these, these just brief words, I'd like you to see with me that Jesus invites us into relationship for transformation and unto impact. Jesus invites us into relationship for transformation and unto impact. Let's take these one at a time. So the first words out of Jesus' mouth here are, follow me. Notice what Jesus doesn't say. Right? Jesus doesn't say, hey, Simon, would you be up to studying Scripture every Thursday night after you wrap out over on the lake? He doesn't say, hey, Andrew, I really think that they need some, some volunteers down at Independence House on Saturday mornings. Would you be up for joining me over there and helping out? See, the Jesus doesn't give the disciples a set of activities to do, a set of projects to work on. Instead, he invites them into relationship. Now, again, I'm sure that there were activities, I'm sure there were projects that were part of what Jesus and his disciples did. But it wasn't about that first, it was about the relationship. Jesus invites us, first and foremost, into an attentive attunement to him. A process of listening and obeying. I mean, we just talked about uh, this analogy of following somebody out of the parking lot here, right? So, if you didn't get the cell phone number or the address or the GPS coordinates, right? And you follow Joe and his silver Buick out of the parking lot. And that's all you know in order to get to the destination. How do you follow that vehicle? Right? Especially if the weather might be a little bit bad, like this morning. I mean, you're glued in on every move, right? If if it slows down, you begin wondering, like, is he going to turn here? You're looking for a blinker if he speeds up. If another car comes in between, all of a sudden you're, you know, you're doing this, right? I want to make sure that I know exactly what Joe is doing so I can stay on track, right? I want to continue to pay attention. And that's, that's the same in our relationship with Jesus. It's not a route. It's a relationship. It demands an attunement to the one we are following. See, this invitation to follow me is really an invitation to apprentice, to apprentice. Now, today, apprenticeship is not, not something we talk about all of that often, um, although it's, it's one possible translation of the word that Scripture uses, mathetes. Uh, in, in our text here, it's rendered disciple, and that's fine too. Really, either way works. Uh, the core idea, though, that we can miss is, is what an apprentice or what a disciple really is in, in our familiarity with this word. 
See, an apprentice is somebody who looks at their master. They imitate everything the master does, right? They watch the master. They're attuned to the master. And as they pay attention to how the master does their work, they attempt to do it likewise. And this is just what we see the disciples doing in the following verses. If, if we look forward in verse 23, we read, that Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and affliction among the people. Jesus did life. He did ministry. And, and as he did, the disciples watched. They observed. In the chapters that follow, we see them asking questions, right? Why'd you do that, Jesus? What was that about? What did you mean when you said this? At the table, the church that we're starting up in Boston, we, we are, have not yet even started our, our weekly Sunday gatherings. We're planning those for uh, this coming fall. But we have started some uh, small home groups, and uh, we're doing discipleship and mission through these vehicles. And, and even at this early stage, we have several individuals apprenticing for leadership. And Basically, what they're doing is, is I'm leading, as I'm making disciples, as I'm sparking spiritual conversations with people, as I'm organizing, what they're doing is they're paying attention to everything that Josh does. They're watching me and they're saying, why'd you do that, Josh? What did you mean when you asked that question? Well, what, why'd you do this instead of that? And we're having conversations. What's the intention? What's the motive here? They're learning uh, to, not only to live in love like Jesus, but to lead in this in this disciple-making movement. And while for me, leading this church is a full-time endeavor, disciple-making isn't something that is restricted to professionals. Molly and Ian and Jose all have full-time jobs. They all got kids who have soccer games and busy schedules and school and they get sick and the car breaks down and the house needs work, right? But over the next year, as they continue to apprentice, as they continue to develop, they'll be starting their own small communities of disciples for mission. Normal, everyday people who are learning to develop skills to, to become people who not only are disciples, but who make disciples. Please pray for them. Pray for me as I'm trying to figure out how to lead them well. Pray for Molly, Ian, and Jose who are currently training uh, to, to, to lead microchurches. When Jesus calls us to follow me, he invites us into an apprenticeship, into a relationship. But notice, secondly, that not only does he do so, um, not only does he invite us into a relationship, but he does so for transformation. This is the second thing I'd like for you to notice uh, this morning, is that the, the relationship with Jesus, following Jesus, is not a transactional thing. It's a transformational thing. See, there's one thing that is certain, well, you may not know about uh, the compensation package or where you're going or any of those other things. You can be sure of this. If you say yes to following Jesus, you will not stay the same. You'll become someone different. See, transformation is built into this very idea of apprenticeship. The apprentice develops to become like the master. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 40, we read that a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Paul says a similar thing over in Romans chapter 8. We say that all of us who are chosen by God are destined by God to become conformed to the image of his Son. See, apprenticeship is about transformation. 
It's about becoming like Jesus. This uh, past week, my iPhone got a new software update, or I think it came out a little while ago. I finally downloaded the thing this, this past week. And, and let me tell you, be careful before you download those things because they just like shut your phone down for like 45 minutes, right? But once I, once I downloaded this upgrade, all of a sudden my phone had all sorts of new features that it did not previously have. I now have the fantastical ability to record whatever I'm doing on my phone. Um, I think I can cast music to multiple speakers in my house at the same time through AirPlay. You could even program the, the, the thing to like walk into the house and have some kind of a code that like shuts the garage door and turns on the lights and like starts your favorite playlist. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing. Now, if you are like me, you don't do any of those things, right? You do not use the phone to do any of those things. I don't even have a garage. Like, I'm, I'm not sure how that would even work. But, but that works okay for me. Uh, like, I, I use my phone to do the things that I need my phone to do, mostly sending memes to my wife and figuring out if I dri- should drive or take the train, right? That's, that's pretty much the limit of, of most of what I do with my phone. But that works okay with, for me. You know, maybe if I was a tech guru or really fancy, like, my life could be ever so slightly more convenient. But up until now, turning on the light by myself without my phone doing it for me really has not, it has not hindered or inconvenienced my life too terribly much. Um... <laughs> But here's why I'm bringing up iPhones, is that I fear that sometimes we approach discipleship like features on an iPhone, with the same kind of consumer, the same kind of a la carte attitude to apprenticeship. You know what I mean, right? Like, uh, let me, uh, I'll get the, the, the main course of eternal bliss, uh, I'll get a side of friends with shared beliefs, and uh, maybe for dessert we'll do um, missions, but only the kind that makes me feel good about myself. Uh, and uh, hold, the, like, hold the holiness, the sharing your faith awkwardly. Like, let's just skip that. Extra grace on that order, though, please, right? Sometimes we, we attempt to pick and choose the pieces of faith that we work for us that keep us comfortable, but don't get it twisted, friends. The life of following Jesus, an apprenticeship to Jesus, is totally different from that. See, I think sometimes we think of following Jesus almost like we are the master, and he is the consultant who gives us some good ideas. Hopefully, sometimes we, we like Jesus' ideas, at least some of the time. And, and if we do, then we, we say, cool, I will incorporate those into my master plan for life. And if, if we do not prefer Jesus' ideas, sorry, dude, like, I mean, you're just the consultant, really. I, like, you know, I do, I'm, I'm in charge here, right? But that, that is not the invitation into which we are invited. Jesus is the master. We are the apprentice. He invites us not into our kingdom, but his. And see, friends, this is just a fancy way of talking about unbelief. Apprenticing after Jesus isn't about a a transaction so that I get into the good place instead of the bad place when I die. It's a relationship that is transformational. Not only in the hereafter, although certainly, yes, that, but also right now. See, do we really believe Jesus? Do we believe that that he knew how to live? When you think of Jesus, do do you imagine, do you see him as somebody who was the wisest man who ever lived? Somebody who had more peace and joy and hope than anyone you know. When you think about Jesus, do you imagine somebody who who had relationships of such depth, of such intimacy, of such playfulness, that it was unlike anything that you'd ever seen. See, friends, Jesus, the Jesus we find here in the text of Scripture, 
was incredible. He was the one who knew how to live. But I think sometimes we don't, we don't really believe Jesus about how to live. We, like, we try to believe in Jesus without actually believing Jesus. Do you know what I mean? Like, do you trust him? Do you trust him that I can say, I will follow you, and I'm honestly not even sure what that's going to mean. I'm not exactly sure how that's going to affect me or where we're going to go or what's going to change along the way, but I, I trust you. It's the difference between Joe and the silver Buick. I'm like, cool, man. I'm okay with lunch, but I don't trust you. Not like that. I'm going to get lost. Do you trust Jesus or do we relate to him in this way of attempting to maintain control? Jesus invites us into a relationship of transformation, a relationship that will change all of our lives, that will make us completely different. This transformation is so stark, in fact, that by the time that we get to the book of Acts, we see what the output of it is. We see other people scratching their heads as they look at these disciples. They look at these guys and they say, weren't these guys fishermen? In Acts 4, verse 13, we see uh, the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders saying, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and recognized that they had been with Jesus. See, when you follow Jesus, when you apprentice after Jesus, it's not transactional, it's transformational. It will change who you are. You will become a different person in every aspect of your life. Not only the things that you believe, but the things that you love. The behaviors that you take on. And, and the, the transformation will be so stark that when other people look at you, they'll be like, what is up? Like, this, did this dude go to Harvard? Like, did I miss something? Like, what, did this, is this guy, like, how did she become somebody who loves enemies? How did she become somebody who has peace and joy in the midst of terrible, tragic, heartbreaking loss? Right? How did this person become somebody who lives and loves like Jesus? And friends, this is critical. I think it's so important for us to notice that Jesus promises here that I will make you in verse 19. See, I think we often miss this one. See, Jesus doesn't say, hey guys, go fish for men. He doesn't say, you know guys, I, I've got a jet over to the next town, but I've jotted down some key ideas that I'm trying to get across. So here's a manual, read up on that, and then I want you to go set up the first Fisherman's Church of Galilee using all this stuff. Do your best to explain these ideas. No, he says, I will make you. Transformation is not something that we manufacture. It's something that Jesus creates as we stay connected to him, right? I imagine that this might explain why so much of the time for us, Christian life can feel exhausting instead of exhilarating, like a burden instead of a blessing, right? We're trying to fish without the following. Like, we've got the right idea. We want to see the fruit. We know what it's supposed to look like, but we're trying to manufacture it on our own without connection to the source. We opt for Jesus' methods, but our... Mission, or our, Jesus' mission, but our methods, and that, friends, never works. Jesus says, I will make you. I love how he talks about this over in John 15, where he describes his relationship to his apprentices as fruit 
coming up on the vine. He says, I am the source. You are the vine. The fruit comes through your connection to me. It only grows when we stay connected to the source. See, I think, friends, in our attempt to to, to kind of boil down the, the following, to take the faith part out of it, we end up disconnecting from the source. I mean, it keeps us in control, but it also means that we then have to manufacture all the fruit on our own, right? And brothers and sisters, when we do this, I think we miss out on the glory. The costs of our control are far too great. You can manufacture a lot of the things. You can get up here and do a talk. You can sing some songs. But if you're not connected to Jesus, the fruit is just not going to be there, right? It's going to be exhausting. And, and you miss out on the transformation that Jesus offers. See, Jesus wants to transform every aspect of you, not just your output. You can't run ahead of him and say, Jesus, I got the idea. I'm great. Like, cool. See what you're doing there, man. I got this. I'm like great with strategic plans. I'm great with visioning. We're going to put together a team. We're going to build a strategic plan. We're going to work it out. And, and we'll just kind of make it happen, right? That's not following Jesus. That's, that's taking what you think Jesus wants and then building your own plan on top of it. And so, so often, friends, I think we do this. We don't really trust. We don't really believe Jesus. Instead, we try and manufacture the fruit that we're hoping for. And, and in the end, we end up burnt out, not transformed, exhausted. But see, when we do stay connected to Jesus, when we are really connected to the vine, the transformation And that fruit becomes essential. It becomes automatic almost. And that's the final piece that I'd love for you to see here in this text, that Jesus invites us not only to follow him, not only into transformation, but he invites us unto impact. In verse 19, we see him say, I will make you fishers of men. See, What we've received is not for us. The transformation that is available is not for you. This is so true of everything that you've received, right? God gave it to you. You are a steward of it. It is not for you. It is to bubble up inside of you and be poured out in abundance for others, right? Whether that's peace and joy, whether that's intimacy, whether that's a marriage that lasts and stability, whether it's your family, whether, whether it's financial resources, whether it's time, God has blessed you so that you can be a blessing. And I love how, how Jesus tells the disciples uh, how he uses this analogy. He says, you will be fishers of men. He, he starts right where this, they're at. I, I used the, the, the analogy of soul healer when I was making up a story about a medical tech, right? Uh, whatever that looks like for you, but Jesus invites you into his mission, but from wherever you're at, in all of who you are, every dimension of your identity, your background, your family, your culture, your ethnicity, every, your gifting, who you are. Jesus wants to take it right from where you are, but then catch all of that up into a greater, into a grander story, a story that, that joins God's mission. Friends, this is, is so exciting. It's so exciting that we get to be Jesus' hands and feet. We get to be the people of good news for others. We're, we're training our community in this. 
uh, up in Boston. We're training our community uh, not only to, to receive the good news, but then to go out and be people of good news who invite people to see how Jesus matters for them. Last night we were up till 11 o'clock. We had a, a Friendsgiving kind of party, rented out a coffee shop, had about 40 people from the neighborhood there. Inviting people into the good news of Jesus and, and all of the things of gratitude, all of the abundance that we have because of who he is. God is rescuing the world. He's up to something amazing, something incredible. God has entered into the world, become human in Jesus, and he is rescuing and redeeming this whole cosmos. And, and this is incredible. He's not doing it on our own. He's doing it through some dirty Galilean fishermen. And he's doing it through you and through me. Maybe you've been thinking, uh, listening to this message up until now and thinking, you know, I, I don't know. Like Pastor Rob, sure. Josh, like you're some kind of church planner guy. All right. I, I, like, I, I see how that relates to you. But I'm not an apostle. I'm not like a church planner. Jesus never showed up and like asked me to be a soul healer or a fisher of men or any of that. Now, if he had, like, admittedly, that would be super intimidating. I'm not sure how to respond. But since he hadn't, I don't really have to worry about that. It's not like he's actually here right now. But the invitation to follow Jesus, to apprentice after him, I'd argue is just as live, just as real as it was for Simon and Andrew. See, at the end of this same book of Matthew, Jesus uh, says the following words to his disciples, which you all know well. In Matthew 28, 18 and 20, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, this apprenticeship opportunity wasn't a one-time thing. It was Jesus' plan from the start, and it still stands for you and for me today. Follow me. Become like me. Do what I do. Stay connected, stay attuned to me, and I will produce the fruit through you. You can do it, not, not because you're awesome or because you're gifted, but because I have all authority in heaven and in earth. And I'll be right there with you up to the end of the age. I'm not sure how this church got started, but it wasn't always here. It wasn't always like this. You have benefited from, you've been blessed by the fact that somebody stepped out in courageous faith following Jesus and saw this community birthed. We're trying to do the same thing up in Dorchester today, like it's been happening millions of times over the past 2,000 years, a community of disciples coming together to make disciples just like Jesus said. And I'll admit, following Jesus is risky. It is out of control. Frankly, it's a little stressful sometimes. But the cool thing about attempting this massive adventure that Jesus has invited us on is that it forces us to really stay tuned into him, to stay connected to him, to become people who live and love just like he did. And friends, wherever you're at, whatever that looks like for you, you are invited into the same journey. So as I get out of your way this, this morning, I'd love to ask you to consider, to reflect have you settled for something less than a life of faith and following? I mean, it's a constant temptation to opt for control, to sub out faith for formulas that keep us comfortable. Is Jesus a consultant to you or is he your master? 
Would you uh, take a moment to consider this? You can put your Bibles down, power down the phones, close your eyes. And if you're willing, I'd invite you uh, to just pray this prayer with me. And this goes whether you're checking out this whole church thing, whether this is the first time for you after a long time, or whether you've been following Jesus for decades. Whether you feel like you may have lost your way a little while back, this prayer can be yours if you're willing. You reflect with me, Jesus, I believe that you are Savior and Master. Without you, I don't, I don't know how to live. Without you, even if I did know how to live, I couldn't do it. I need you, Jesus. I believe you're still inviting us to follow you. I, I want this. I'm willing to drop all the control, all the things that are in the way, and with all my soul say yes, because you're trustworthy. If you prayed that prayer today, I want to invite you to stay in silence for a moment as uh, chemo begins to play. And, and I want to share with you, Jesus is still here with you. He is speaking through His Spirit. I believe He may have something to share with you. Are you listening? Are you attuned? Now, I don't know where He's leading exactly. I'm not sure what it will look like for you. Maybe He's inviting you into a regular practice of listening for His voice through Scripture and prayer. Perhaps he's inviting you to, to share and to, to pass forward some of what you've received in some way, whether that's your talents, whether that's your wisdom, whether that's your family, whether it's financial resources, to pay those things forward for the sake of kingdom. Or maybe he's inviting you to ask somebody out for lunch, to courageously initiate a spiritual conversation with somebody who doesn't know him. I don't know. I don't have the answer for you. It's not a formula. But I can promise if you'll quiet your heart, and ask. Jesus is a master who still speaks. May we be just like those first followers who listened and hearing the call immediately left everything to follow him. Amen.